Um, welcome everyone uh, to QFI online seminar. Uh, today, uh, our speaker is uh, Chris Ferry, uh, and um, he's an associate professor at um, UTS QFI. Um, he has significant in experience in learning algorithms and software um, they could be using uh, in optimizing quantum circuits. Uh, with various applications, including tomography. Um, and um, we have a growing research group at QSI, and I'm one of the postdocs of the group. Today, we will talk about uh, self-guided quantum learning. So please, please start. Sorry, Claire, let me see if I can get my screen up here. Can that be seen? Yes. Okay. All right, well, um, this is gonna be fun to, to give this talk. Interesting to do it virtually. Um, so as Claire mentioned, um, you know, I have a, a research group at UTS and, and they're all doing wonderful work, but I have yet to um, get comfortable talking about somebody else's work. So they're all doing great work, um, but I'm going to talk about um, some of the work that I've done myself. So that's gonna be a, a little bit older, except um, there's some been some recent, um, uh, recent updates and I will also go over some open questions near the end. So the title is Self-Guided Quantum Learning, and ostensibly it's about uh, tomography. So I'll overview the problem of tomography, and, and then I'll talk about the particular protocol, the self-guided um, tomography protocol, and then some applications at the end. Okay, so just to remind everyone, what is tomography? In Quantum physics, um, a modern sort of operational interpretation of it, we have three things that can happen to a quantum system. First, you prepare some physical system, then you make some changes to it, and then you perform uh, a measurement and read some, some output on some meter somewhere. Now, this is in some sense, textbook quantum physics. Uh, if I'm told all of these things, then a assignment question or an exam question would be to calculate this probability here. So this is uh, called the Born rule. And uh, the calculation that you have to do is something that requires linear algebra and, and possibly differential equations if you have to solve a Schrodinger equation and what's not often talked about in introductory quantum mechanics courses is kind of the opposite question. So now in a lab, I may know what I'm able to do to change physical systems. I have a very good sense of what I'm doing when I perform a measurement, but I might not know what physical system I'm preparing. So as a theorist, I'm imagining like, 
these these things are literally just boxes um, and and the quantum state is a label for this preparation box so what is the uh, the the information that that i use to be able to predict the outcomes of experiments so i need to know this row this label on this preparation box so that i can calculate the probabilities for the outcomes of experiments so the forward process you know if i know everything about it that's deduction that's kind of standard standard calculations that we can do the reverse process is called induction so in deduction there's a unique answer if i know the quantum state if i know um, the the channel that it's going to go through if I know the measurement, I can put all of these things into this trace rule and do the calculation. And if I'm using a computer, then it'll give me the same answer every time and it will be unique. That was a correct answer. Now, the inverse process is much harder because there's no unique answer. So uh, there's an example here. If I perform some measurements that's um, specified by some set that I've labeled EK, uh, I might see um, outcome one, then I might see outcome three, then I might see outcome one again, and then I might see outcome one again. Um, so I'm, I'll see this list of outcomes, and the task is to find out what that preparation box should be labeled. What is the quantum state I should associate to that preparation procedure? And there's no unique answer because uh, quantum physics is a probabilistic theory, so there are many rows, uh, quantum states, that could potentially give those outcomes. All, all, the, all that has to happen is that those outcomes are possible, right? So, so long as I assign a quantum state such that those outcomes are possible, then someone can't come along and say that that's, that's invalid. So the only thing that's invalid is if I assign a quantum state where one of these outcomes that is actually observed is literally impossible in the sense that if I calculated that probability, it would be zero. So, so long as I assign a state rho for which the probability that I would have calculated those outcomes for is not zero, then, then that's in some sense valid. But really we want to find the best quantum state amongst all the possible allowed ones or the, the most probable quantum state. So this, this is, uh, is a, this problem of induction is an old problem. It of course, goes back to Laplace and probably before, and well, people still argue about it today. Uh, I'll just also point out that uh, there's other options, right? So we might know what the state is, and we don't know what the measurement is. This is called measurement tomography or detector tomography. Uh, we might not know what the process is that happens in, in between the preparation and the measurement. This is called um, process tomography. And well, we could, you know, be in the situation where we don't really know anything about anything going on. Um, and there's, there's ways that you, you might think that this is impossible, but of course, this is what experimentalists do. Um, I mean, there isn't uh, something written in English on electrons that says what, what state one should assign to them. So when we enter the lab, of course, we don't know anything and we have various heuristic procedures and 
um, uh, expertise built up over the many years, 100 years of quantum physics on, on how to start to assign uh, labels to these things. Uh, but there are now procedures that attempt to solve this problem in a more, uh, let's say, I don't want to say rigorous, but in a more, um, uh, yeah, a more sort of not requiring intuition of physics sort of fashion. Uh, one of them is called gate set tomography. Okay, so uh, so there's lots of themes uh, in tomography. Right? The, the task is um, to give labels to these boxes, which we color black because we don't know what we what what we should ascribe to them, um, and one might ask, okay, well, what, what is the best figure of merit? How do I assign the goodness of an estimate? Um, given such a thing, what estimator should I use? There's lots of options. There, you may have heard of maximum likelihood tomography. You may have heard of um, uh, compressed sensing. Um, you may have heard of uh, you know, various machine learning type techniques, Bayesian tomography. Um, then, Another big area of research is, well, I can assign this box a label, but how confident am I? So that's a question about error bars. I should put error bars on my estimates. Uh, and then, of course, there's choices that one can make. Uh, I may not know what the state is, but I may have some control over how I can change the system, what process I, I can apply to it, uh, what measurement I can perform. So there's a uh, lots of open questions there about what measurements should be performed. And as I mentioned, uh, there are other areas of research where I can talk about uh, smaller subclasses of states and perhaps it's easier to estimate quantum states if they come from a smaller subclass. So um, this has a, a flavor of compressed sensing. Uh, and then, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of new research on neural networks and, and quantum learning and things. So, um, uh, maybe I shouldn't have taken so long on this slide because as you can see from the title, I'm not going to address any of this. So I'm going to do something com completely different. Uh, and I'll just tell you the punchline right away so you, uh, so you can go to a different tab in your browser, which I know you're doing right now, Mick. Um, so the punchline is, we can perform a kind of adaptive measurement tomography without actually doing this state reconstruction. Um, and that's important because this problem is extremely difficult. So the, um, the difficulty grows exponentially with the, Hilbert, um, with the number of qubits. So you know, it grows linearly with the dimension of the, the Hilbert space, but that's exponential in the number of qubits. So we're not going to envision doing tomography, at least completely reconstructing an unknown state beyond say in the 15 to 20 qubit range. We'll, we'll never do that. Uh, we certainly won't be doing tomography on quantum computers. Uh, so, so we can, what I'm gonna show is maybe sort of a, a, a NISCI type um, tomography procedure where you can have an estimate of the, the state without doing a typical reconstruction um, procedure where you have a whole bunch of data and you're trying to analyze this data and solve this induction problem. The second punchline is that uh, in doing so, we find a trade-off between um, what you might call measurement complexity and computational complexity. 
So I'll make this clear, but these are the two punchlines that you should have in mind. Um, to put some numbers on it, uh, if I think about standard tomography, so standard tomography just means pick a set of measurements which is sufficient to completely characterize the state. So this is uh, termed an informationally complete measurement. Um, let me point out if you're looking at this, um, this graph, I, I, it's not written on the slide anywhere, but th this, this is talking about pure state. This is the sub problem of if the quantum state is a pure state. So uh, this isn't full density matrix tomography for this, for this, um, for this table. So if I'm doing pure state tomography, then I need uh, 2D minus D, uh, 2D minus two real numbers to specify a pure state. And I'll need on the order of D measurements, different uh, measurements, uh, POVMs or uh, projection measurements to completely specify all of those entries in, in the quantum state. When I perform these measurements, I have to store what, which measurements I'm doing to input into my reconstruction procedure. That's uh, to store those, those measurement matrices, those, those um, POVMs will require D cubed uh, in, in space complexity. And um, I, at some point I'm going to have to invert a, a D by D matrix and well, you know, there's, there's various ways to improve the multiplication and inversion, but let's just say, you know, and if you're going to use any uh, built-in linear algebra solver, you're going to incur a uh, time complexity of D cubed as well. Now, uh, to put some concrete, um, uh, some quantitative numbers on this, what I mean by this trade-off, in self-guided tomography, uh, you'll, you'll only need order D space complexity as the, as the measurement algorithm progresses. And, and again, time complexity order, order D. So you'll see where that comes about later on. Uh, but the, the penalty is that each time you acquire data, you have to change your measurements. And so you, uh, you'll incur uh, kind of measurement complexity cost of order n. Now capital N here is the number of copies of the quantum system that you're going to use to characterize the state. So the number of times you pr press the button on the preparation box. Uh, and typically this, this is going to have to be much, much larger than D um, because as you can see, the, the accuracy uh, scales is D order D um, the dimension divided by the number of copies you use. So typically you're going to use a number of copies that's, that's much, much larger than the dimension of the Hilbert space that you're trying to reconstruct. But you see that the accuracy in terms of the number of copies is the same. So uh, that, that just comes from, you know, a statistical lower bound. I mean, you can't, you're not going to beat that with any procedure. So I'm not saying that either of these protocols could actually achieve this. It really depends on your implementation and, uh, you know, yeah, how, how you implement the algorithms, but the, uh, they have this sort of same asymptotic optimal accuracy. Self-guided tomography 
you have this benefit of space and time complexity um, at the penalty of measurement complexity. Now, when I first started looking at this problem, uh, I thought this ON was really bad because when I would speak to the people doing quantum optics, for example, to change the measurements, a, a, a graduate student actually had to go into the lab and manually put their hands on knobs of polarizing polarizers and beam splitters and, and change these. Uh, and, but you know, now we've progressed quite a bit in quantum technology to the point where this, uh, these things can be automated. So perhaps this isn't actually a large, a large penalty. Anyway, moving on. I will tell you exactly what this is. Uh, first, sorry. can you go back to the slides, uh, the table that you showed? Yeah. Um, so the measurement complexity of standard tomography is OD. Is it like um, you just measure a single copy because you have n copies, right? It should also depend on n if you consider the. Like, I'm not sure. No. No, I mean the number of different the number of different um, settings outcomes. on my measurement device. The outcomes of the measurement. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I could, yeah, that's one, yeah. Uh, for, like, for physicists, they're, they're, they probably imagine, like, measuring different observables. So I have different, a whole set of different observables. But, yeah, in quantum information theory, you could just imagine, say, okay, let's put those all into one big POVM. Mm -hmm. um, how many POVM elements are in that okay. POVM? And that's fixed. Like in standard tomography, that's just fixed. You, you just measure that same one for all copies. Hmm. And then in, in adaptive tomography, you're changing it for every copy. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here I have a, a picture of a clock. Um, it's meant to represent a qubit. So uh, think about it as just a, yeah, the XY plane, say, or let's, let's say Z plane, because we're used to the picture of up being in the Z direction. So the, the ZX plane. And the black line, or the black arrow is the true state. Okay, so we don't know what that is, but you know, let's imagine that you know, we, we know we're doing a simulation or something, and we know that's the, that's the true state. Uh, and we start with some guess. So our guess is the green arrow. So how the intuition behind self-guided self tomography is this. So when I perform a measurement, I'm actually going to perform two measurements and they're going to be along, I don't actually have an arrow here in this program. Oh yeah, I do. Can everyone see that? Um, my mouse? It's tiny, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, when it moves, I'm sure it's easier for the eye to follow. <laughs> Thanks, JP. Um, so I'm gonna perform a measurement along this uh, axis. Okay, so a measurement in for, uh, for a qubit is just an axis in, in the block sphere. So I'm gonna measure along this axis, this red axis, and this red axis. And because of the Born rule, it says that um, the number of outcomes you see in one direction versus the other is proportional to the cosine of the angle between the measurement axis and the true state. Uh, so that's just to say that, uh, you know, the arrow that's closer to the true state is going to see more outcomes than the arrow that's further away. So I'll see more, more up outcomes for this measurement than this lower measurement. And that suggests that 
well, the true state is in this direction from my guess. So uh, I should move in that move my guess in that direction. Okay, so now I've I've moved my guess in the direction where I see more outcomes, and I do the same thing. I pick two measurements nearby my guess, and the one that sees a higher number of outcomes, I will take a step in that direction, and so on and, and so forth. Now, I think for um, you know for someone, especially if you're doing like optics, this is this seems very natural. It's almost like what what you're trained to do without even being told that when you align, when you're trying to align various things, um, you know, you move it in one direction and you're watching a screen somewhere to look at say, um, you know, laser power. And if the laser power goes down, then you, then you think, okay, well that was the wrong direction. So I need to move in the other direction. So this kind of formalizes that in, in some sense. Um, now, um, now of course, uh, in this picture here, uh, let's take a step back one step. So, because um, you know, if I imagine that I'm doing these measurements very nearby to my guess, and I do, you know, repeat it ten times, say, then it's very, it it could be the case that I see this this me measurement outcome more often than this one, right? Because quantum mechanics is a statistical theory, so of of course, every time I perform this procedure, I'll get a different set of outcomes. And sometimes those outcomes are going to suggest that I step in the opposite direction. So I'm going to switch to a different picture altogether to illustrate that. So um, imagine that I, so this, is, this doesn't have anything to do with quantum mechanics. It's just um, imagine the simple problem where I have a function, uh, f of sigma, and sigma is the horizontal axis, and I want to minimize this function. Okay, so clearly the minimum is down here at the bottom. And uh, you know, I put a ball on this hill, and it'll roll down. And you know, if it loses some energy, then eventually it'll just settle into the bottom. Um, however, if I'm in a stochastic situation, that and every time I ask, okay, well, what 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 height am I at? I get a random answer. Then, of course, you know, if I just say instead of instead of trying to minimize the function f, I try to minimize this red function, which is a, uh, some sort of noise corrupted version of f. Um, now, don't worry about the writing, I'll, I'll, I'll say what that means in a minute. But now imagine that you're trying to minimize uh, you know, your, the value on this red line, then, uh, well, a nice sort of smooth gradient approach isn't going to work, but you find yourself down here, and of course, that's not the actual minimum of f that you're interested in. Okay, uh, so you can imagine. Well, I'll just um, you know I'll just keep randomly randomly sampling, and this this minimum will bounce around, and on average, it will be uh, at the actual minimum. And that that intuition is is some sense correct. Now, to give you a sense of what the kind of noise that we're dealing with is, I want you to imagine that this green line that we're trying to minimize is a probability, okay? And um, the error is, the error just comes about from counting statistics. So this would be like shot noise in, in, the, in, the, case of, um, in the case of optics, but it just comes about by the fact that when I perform a quantum measurement um, and I repeat it, that's just a, a, a Bernoulli trial 
each one is a Bernoulli trial. And uh, if I repeat that k times, and I and I call my estimate of the probability, you know, the very naive, the number of times I saw up over the total number of times I performed the measurement, then uh, then then I'll see some sort of stochastic fluctuation around my true probability that I'm trying to estimate. So this is like um, uh, for every point on the green line, uh, I have a, a coin with a with a bias given by the value of of that line, and I'm going to flip that coin many times and just do the naive thing and say the the bias of the coin is the number of heads I see over the total number of coin flips that I did. And yeah, I mean, you, there's, there's some, uh, there's some finite statistics correction to this, but you know, if K is large enough, then I'll just get some nice sort of Gaussian central limit theorem type uh, error spread around the true value of, of, of that green line. Okay. Um, so that's the, there's, so that's the first issue that you run into when naively trying to, to do this this thing that I mentioned here is that there's some stochasticity and eventually I'll step in the wrong direction and maybe when the green line is right nearby the black line I'm just going to jump around that black line and I'll never actually converge. Um, now uh, now this is this is really simple in one dimension so there's an added complication when we're talking about high dimensionals um, estimation as in quantum uh, statistics. And so for that, I want to actually move to yet another picture. So now it's the same problem, but now we're just talking about like minimizing uh, a function in, in two dimensions. So imagine this is a, you know, a, a bowl and these lines are lines of constant height in the bowl. So, um, it, you know, it's a bowl or a hill uh, in, in three dimensional space. I can only represent it on the, on the slides in two dimensions. And so uh, each of these is a is a level plane. And if I start up here at, at the top, then um, I start up here and I want to end up down here at the minimum. Uh, and I, I, if I follow the gradient, of course, if I knew more than the, the first derivative, then I would take a straight shot down to the bottom. But if I follow the gradient, then I would take, a, you know, not the shortest path, but some other path down the hill, down to the bottom. And if every time I tried to evaluate the gradient and said, you know, what, what is the height at this point and that point, um, then of course, what would happen is I would just kind of, yeah, I mean, I would stay nearby-ish, the green line, but I would jump around um, because I wouldn't be estimating the gradient exactly. And I would end up near the bottom. And if I wasn't clever enough, then I would just jump around, uh, jump around at the bottom. Okay, so the, the protocol uh, that I, I'm proposing, uh, I will demonstrate uh, how it works in this in this picture, and then we'll look at how it works for quantum states. So I start with a guess, okay? And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick a completely random direction. So I'm not even gonna attempt to find the, the actual true dimension of the gradient, and I'm going to, so pick a, a, a completely random direction in, in two dimensions, it, 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 you know, it, it's easy to, to show, but in, in higher dimensions, it's the same. So I 
you know, in higher dimensional space, I just pick a completely random direction to, and I'm going to commit to stepping in that direction. Uh, so you can see already that, you know, the, we're avoiding the idea of trying to estimate a gradient in a high dimensional space, which we re require an exponential number of measurements, right? If I, if I wanted to est estimate the actual direction of the gradient, then I would have to do measurements in every possible um, orthogonal direction um, to get the sort of true uh, place I should step in. So instead of doing that, what I'm going to do instead is just commit to stepping in a random direction. So I only need to do two measurements every time I estimate a gradient. Okay, so that direction I, I label delta k. And so I have these two new locations in my optimization space. And there's some step size, beta, and I'm going to step beta distance in, in that direction and beta distance in the opposite, so in backwards. So I've chosen a random direction. I step some small distance forward, some small distance back, and I perform my measurements at these two locations. Um, the value, um, the value of the function, um, which is just uh, is stochastic, so it's a random variable, and I've kind of said uh, the noise is different in each case since I'm doing independent measurements. So when I evaluate the objective function here, it gets corrupted by some noise. The plus just means the noise associated with stepping in the positive direction, and I'll get some noise associated with stepping in the reverse direction, okay? And uh, let's suppose that, um, you know, we're lucky and the, the, value, uh, the value is lower uh, for, for when I evaluate this function, and so then I'll step in that direction. And, um, and then, it, then we just repeat this process. Uh, I pick a random direction, step forward a little bit, step back a little bit, perform some measurements, um, and, and then whatever, whatever measurement was more favorable, I step in that direction. Okay, so let's get to quantum states. So uh, here's, a, here's a qubit, and the, I'm starting at uh, the zero state, so uh, ket zero, so the z plus one z eigenstate. And let's suppose the true state is uh, plus one x eigenstate, okay? And each of the lines, the blue, purple, and uh, cyan lines, is one run of the algorithm, okay? So the algorithm will uh, perform random measurement direction, uh, choose random measurement directions, um, take steps in those, in those directions, perform those measurements. On the left-hand side, each each time I specify a measurement direction, I repeat that measurement 100 times. So if I, see, um, if I see 90 up versus 10 down, then I'm going to say that the, uh, that the, value, the value of the function I'm trying to optimize is, is nine, 9 over 10. Okay. Uh, so that gives me some, uh, some precision, uh, enhanced precision in performing these measurements. Okay, so you see that um, the, for the blue one, I've chosen, the, the, the algorithm chose this random direction, um, and it took a big step in this direction. And then immediately right away, it chose another random direction, and it actually stepped, well, it's hard to say whether that was the wrong direction, because 
it got unlucky and picked a, a direction almost orthogonal to the one it was supposed to um, to put, supposed to step in. Um, but you can see that um, you know there's obviously some stochasticity to it. But uh, eventually, and and the key here is that the the size of the step you take, uh, and and that includes where you do these measure where the, you do these two measurements, and uh, the size of the step your estimate takes, both decrease as the algorithm progresses, and so you avoid this problem of bouncing around the optimal. Okay, so uh, you take big steps at the beginning and small steps at the end, and these steps actually um, decrease as a, as a power law. Okay, and then on the right-hand side, exact same thing, except each time I evaluate this this optimize this function I'm trying to optimize, um, I'm performing more more measurements. Okay, um, uh, actually, sorry, th this should be um, this should probably be k here in, in the previous notation I used. So this is the number of repetitions per measurement direction that I'm that I'm using. And as you might expect, there's less, uh, there's less variance when I use more measurements. So that's exactly what you would expect. Um, uh, but the algorithm converges no matter how many measurements that you use. You can go all the way down to one bit. If I do a single measurement, then of course the variance is gonna be quite big. And, but, but now, uh, so it's going to take more steps to get to the same level of accuracy, but I'm using less copies in that case. So uh, it all kind of washes out in the end, but I think it's a good illustration and, and guides the intuition for how, how these algorithms work. Okay, so, um, so this, this works beyond just this simple example that I showed you. Uh, it, so it, it's going to work for a, a whole wide class of things that, that you can imagine doing, um, uh, not just in quantum physics, but I guess in, in any sort of optimization procedure where you, uh, where you're including the ability to control things, okay? So uh, if I want to, um, if I want to uh, estimate a, a state, in this case a state or, or, or some other set of parameters, rho, um, the, first thing, uh, the first thing I need is to be able to do an experiment where the controls of my experiment encode the thing I'm trying to estimate. So um, for pure states, it, it's simple in the sense that when I define a measurement direction, that's, is, that's isomorphic to a state. So a, a measurement direction and the space of, of measurement directions and the space of states are the same thing. So by doing an optimization procedure over the set of measurement directions, I can also um, Kind of hone in on the thing that I'm actually interested in, which is a state. With, with you know, so it's, there's a duality there in the sense that um, the state is one of the measurement directions, and uh, you know, I have experimental controls uh, which are labeled by the thing that I'm trying to trying to estimate. Okay, so um, the second sort of this is more of a desiderata. It's not completely necessary, but uh, the you must come up with some objective function that's that's easily deduced from experimental outcomes. So in the case of pure states, it's, it's sort of direct access to um, this fidelity, this this state overlap. Um, if you want to do this for some other thing that you're interested in estimating, 
Um, of course, you could do full tomography and, and then evaluate this, this objective function, but that of course defeats the purpose. So the, the, the second, uh, the first one is necessary. The second one is more of a desiderata that you need to be able to easily deduce some objective function from experimental outcomes. Um, and then uh, the sort of obvious, obvious thing when you think about this for, for a little bit is that when I average over um, um, any sort of randomness in the experiment of evaluating that objective function, it must give me some sort of figure of merit um, that is optimized on, on the true state. So this D is some say um, generalized distance measure which, which is optimized when my guess is equal to the true state. Okay, so I need to find an objective function that I can easily measure in an experiment. And, you know, if, if, I've, if, my, if my guess is sitting at the true state, then on average, that should optimize the function. Um, that should optimize some function. So we need to find that as well. Okay, so those are the ingredients. And I'll show, um, some examples of how, where these in ingredients um, are satisfied. Okay. So the, the three that I'll talk about are pure states, mixed states, and estimating, estimating unitaries. Okay, so the ingredients for pure states is, um, as was shown in the picture, so uh, the, the experimental controls that I use are uh, a measurement, and this, this measurement is just some projector. And the, in the lab, what I do is I'm, uh, I measure that projector versus just the, everything in its orthogonal subspace. So it's a, um, sometimes this is called a test. So uh, my measurement is, is it this state or, or the opposite outcome is it's, it's in the opposite, it is in the orthogonal subspace, okay? So for a single qubit, it's just, um, yeah, a state and its antipodal state on the block sphere. Now, uh, the, the function that I'll try to optimize is this, just this naive estimate of, of the fidelity. Uh, and when, when rho is a pure state and sigma as, as drawn here is a pure state, then this random variable is, as I said, is, a, is just a coin toss with, with this probability given by the overlap um, of these two pure states, okay? Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll repeat that some, some number of times. K can be anything. Um, so when I perform this measurement E, uh, there'll be some randomness that's given by the probability of, of that, um, the overlap of that, that state and the true state um, and whatever outcome hap that happens to be, I'll just say that the function I'm trying to optimize is that number of outcomes over the total number of measurements that I performed. And it's, uh, it, should, it should be, uh, it's, it's quite an, an easy calculation, right? Because the expectation value of a Bernoulli uh, random variable is just the probability Right, so it's just this parameter inside of the um, the Bernoulli uh, random variable. So the expectation value of this function is is just the the probability. Okay. Um, okay. So 
the for pure states, uh, this satisfies the requirements, and then all, and then the the number two, which is the desiderata, that this is extremely easy to to uh, to do in the lab. Okay. Okay, so this is what I did in in some simulations um, uh, in this paper, self-guided quantum tomography. Um, uh, this picture is just uh, the the infidelity that that you in, that you incur. So lower is better, um, and you see that you see, you see this asymptotic asymptotic behavior um, as promised. So this is the log log plot, and the colors here are just increasing in um, in Hilbert space dimension. So uh, I don't remember if it's the number of qubits or 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 the actual dimension of the Hilbert space, but um, but in any case, the, the purple is is a qubit, and we increase in dimension as we go up. Um, and you can see that as the algorithm progresses, the the accuracy goes down, and then you eventually see some asymptotic behavior. So, um, I think uh, I've seen this thing so many times that it doesn't feel like it's counterintuitive to me, but I remember at the time, and every, you know, every time I talk about this with people, is they, it's always surprising that there isn't some noise floor, right? Given that, uh, is there a question? I see something blinking. Oh, audio problems? Yes, we couldn't hear your last sentence. Should I continue? Um, yes. Okay, um, so I'll repeat that. Um, so, uh, yeah, what I was saying was, uh, I've, now that I've looked at these plots and done, done these simulations and worked with experimentalists so many times, that it seems um, somewhat obvious to me anymore. There's no, there's no more uh, confusion. Is that when people first see this, they expect to see some sort of noise floor beyond which you're not, because you have this stochastic optimization and you expect to just jump around the minimum um, and never actually converge. But that um, you can show that, well, when you analyze the iterative steps of the algorithm, you, you can choose these step sizes that you take to, to guarantee convergence. So um, there's no noise floor. It, it'll just happily keep going down, um, getting arbitrarily close to, to the true state. And um, that's sort of the, the table that I'm repeating in the, um, uh, from the beginning. I can't believe with all this technology, there isn't a clock around me. Hold on. <laughs> Let me just go from, uh, okay, sorry. I just need to see the clock back to full screen. Okay. Right, so this uh, algorithm is Remember this is for pure states, and this was experimentally demonstrated um, uh, with uh, with Rob Chapman, um, who I think is now in Vienna, and Alberto Peruzzo at, at RMIT, where they implemented this for one and one and two qubits in in their in in their quantum optics setup. So um, this is their this is their picture of uh, of some iterations of the algorithm um you always i mean we're starting at uh the z eigenstate plus one eigenstate of z and it, 
there's one true state over here and the algorithm takes 10 steps and ends up nearby. And if the true state's over here, the algorithm takes 10 steps and ends up nearby and, and so forth, right? Um, and uh, for those three states, the, the fidelity is, is, is plotted at, as a function of the number of photons used um, for, uh, for the self-guided tomography and, and for the standard tomography. Um, and in this case, they found that, um, that the self-guided tomography seemed to perform, to perform much better. Uh, and as an, as an added feature that isn't really in this sort of complexity analysis, um, but is, is somewhat uh, clear when you think about the fact that this algorithm is explicitly designed to be robust to noise. Right, so we have these, this, I'm trying to optimize a stochastic function. And in doing so, I'm making it robust to noise. So now imagine that the noise doesn't only come from just the, the Born rule probability, the shot noise from the quantum measurement, but also some technical noise on, the, on what I, how I define my measurement axis. Now, if I'm doing standard tomography and I make, um, and I, I label my axis different from what the actual axis is, then, then you, can, you can see that I, I, I'm going to have some skewed picture of what my, um, you know, how I define my block sphere. Um, so imagine I say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm performing uh, tomography measurements. I want to do tomography on a qubit. So I'm going to do poly measurements. And what I call X is, uh, what I call Z is up and what I call X is nice orthogonal to up. But what I call Y happens to be some, some weird direction that's not orthogonal to the other two then in fact, I'll never reach the, the true state no matter how many measurements that I do. But if this, this error is that I make when I, uh, when I perform these measurements, so when I go to set the measurement direction on my device, I make some random error uh, and that's off by, by some amount, um, then, then the self-guided algorithm actually doesn't care. It, it'll, it, it'll just keep happily going down um, uh, and converging. And so the plot here on the far right is, is demonstrating that. So the, uh, the, dashed, uh, the dashed lines, or sorry, the dotted lines, the horizontal lines, are um, the, the fidelities. Uh, so what's happening in the lab is they're, they're engineering noise on, the, on their measurement. So when, when the algorithm says, uh, you know, perform a Z measurement. What what actually happens in the lab is, is you know, a Z measurement is, is is set up to be performed, and then some 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 you know some intentionally induced error is put on that just to demonstrate the robustness to the error. So we see various different levels of error. Um, so the fidelity of the project projection that I'm meant to do versus the fidelity of the projection that actually happens uh, for the red line is 99.3%. 94.3% for the blue and, and so on, okay? Um, and the, the, the dashed line also corresponds to the fidelity that's achieved, um, uh, the, the maximum fidelity that you would achieve doing standard tomography, even if you use an infinite number of photons. And so you can see, you know, um, after, 
uh, after only a few iterations of the algorithm, you've already gone beyond what can be achieved with standard tomography. Okay, so that's pure states. Um, it, it can also be done with mixed states. So if I'm trying to estimate a mixed state, then uh, it, it's actually not much different. The measurement that I need to do is uh, in the eigenbasis of my estimate. So I have some estimate uh, sigma. Uh, I find out what the eigenbasis of that estimate is, and I perform a measurement in that eigenbasis. Okay. And um, when I perform that measurement, I'll get a random set of outcomes, you know, one, one for each of the projectors in that, in that measurement, and that's labeled zeta, uh, uh, excuse me, k. Uh, and, and so I plug that in, and I multiply it by the log of the, um, the eigenvalue associated with that, that projector of my estimated state. Okay, so I've diagonalized the states. Um, I know what the eigenvalues are. I know what the projectors are. I perform a measurement in that eigenbasis. Um, I, I take the log of all of those uh, eigenvalues and I multiply it by the actual outcomes that I see when I perform the measurement. Um, and you might recognize this as something that looks like an entropy term, okay, like a cross entropy type term. Um, and of course, the, this is a random variable, and the random variable is now no longer a Bernoulli or, or a binomial random variable. Now it's a multinomial random variable. And if my true state happened to be rho, then of course the probabilities uh, for seeing uh, one of the outcomes in this projected measurement is just the overlap, right? Uh, and I say I perform it, re repeat that measurement k times. That k can be arbitrary. Okay, um, now uh, another uh, kind of straightforward calculation that you can do is that if, if, I, uh, if I take the expectation value of this function over this multinomial random variable, I get uh, this, um, this term here. And you, again, you'll recognize that as the cross entropy term from the, the, uh, um, the quantum relative entropy of the quantum callback Leibler divergence, okay? And um, this, this thing obtains um, its, 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 its optimal value when the estimate sigma is equal to rho, okay? Um, so that, that'll be very familiar for the, for the quantum information theorists in the audience, but maybe not so for everyone else. But the, the point is that uh, we were, we're satisfying the desiderata and the requirements. So um, again, my, the thing I'm trying to estimate is the state, uh, the kinds of measurements that I'm doing uh, encode descriptions of states. This is an easy thing to, to calculate um, from measurement outcomes, right? I'm just multiplying numbers together. Uh, and when I take the expectation value of that, I get some function which is optimized when sigma equals rho. Okay, so that, that experiment was actually performed as well for a qubit um, at, at Macquarie University uh, by, by Sarah Kaiser. Um, uh, and I was working, we started this, uh, I think probably way back when I was a postdoc at, at the University of Sydney. 
um, uh, where Chris Grenade was also postdoc. So he uh, uh, was, was discussing this project as well. But uh, Sarah and Chris have now moved on outside of academia and um, yeah, publishing, publishing papers on, on tomography is unfortunately not uh, highest on their priority um, list. But Sarah, if you're watching, we got to finish that paper. Anyway, the data is all there. Uh, we just haven't haven't written it up. Uh, but this is the, this is experimental data. Uh, the hundred here is the number of repetitions per measurement that I do. Um, this is the number of iterations of the algorithm. And again, you see that it goes down. And here's a fit to the um, to the one over one over the total number of photons used. Okay, so that's mixed states. Uh, and then the last, the last thing I want to talk about is unitaries. Um, so uh, to perform unitaries, it's a, it's a bit more subtle. So what we need is, oh, <laughs> that's fun. I taped the green sheet to the back of the wall so I had a nice green screen. Look at this. <laughs> All right. Um, so now you only get to see half of Seinfeld's apartment for anyone that recognized that. Um, so, so for the case of unitaries, I have some unknown unitary. I'm, I'm kind of mixing up notation here, so bear with me. So I have some unknown unitary U, okay? And the controls that, that I need and the controls that I'm going to assume that I have are the ability to perform a well-characterized unitary. Okay, so remember, if I'm going to do this this self-guided technique, I need um, I need uh, experimental controls that um, that are able to encode the thing that I'm trying to estimate. So, um, so the experiment is I I prepare a maximally entangled state, um, and I apply the the unknown unitary. And then I apply some unitary that I that I know I can create on one half of this the uh, entangled pair, and on the other half I, I don't do anything. Um, and then uh, at the end I I measure I do the the same as the original measurement that I talked about this um, this test. So I uh, I'm going to test against um, this this state here. Okay, uh, and again, if, if you're kind of, um, yeah, well-versed in quantum information theory, you recognize this as something that looks like the, the Choi Yamakowski isomorphism. So um, you'll already believe that everything's gonna work out the same, uh, but it, uh, how that works, uh, roughly speaking, is that it, it, in correspondence with the, with the pure state case where I assign my estimate sigma, sigma is now like this V unitary in row the true state is now like the unitary that I'm trying to estimate. Um, when I perform this, when I do this experiment, um, I'll get some out, some set of outcomes, and the, each each outcome is a Bernoulli again a Bernoulli random variable that's given by um, the overlap. Now now I'm I'm treating these things as as as, as super operators. Um, so this is this is again this is going to be the um, the the process fidelity between the the two unitaries. That's the probability with which I see um, the outcome, the 
outcome along sort of along this the outcome that corresponds to this maximal eigen um, maximally entangled state, uh, and because it's Bernoulli again, um, this expectation value is given by the the overlap of of these two these two unitaries in their um, uh, in the process in the sort of process matrix representation. Okay. And this is obviously optimized when when v equals u. Okay, so we can do this. Uh, it's nice and clean when we try to generalize this to, to processes, so long as those processes are unitary. Okay, uh, why did you know why did I think about going back to this problem? Um, uh, it actually started as a joke. Um, so uh, this was a uh, I get what two years ago when. Um, when blockchain was in the news um, and quantum machine learning was, was getting nice and hot. Um, and so I thought about how would you combine all of these amazing, glorious technologies, quantum machine learning, blockchain. Um, uh, and yeah, so it started as a joke, the self-learning protocol called Skynet. Um, Oh, I don't even remember what the, it was a good acronym. Let me just look it up. It was a good acronym. Um, and so I did the simulations and, uh, and then there was a Twitter bot that uh, sent out hashes called the, the Felix blockchain uh, and added, added, added to the data chain. Um, and somebody, uh, somebody said to me, well, I, that's actually, you know, a non-trivial experiment to perform, let's actually do it. Um, and so, and so we did it and uh, this was published. Um, so I don't have the nice screenshot of the, like in the other ones. Uh, this was an experiment performed at the University of Science and Technology of China, um, where it, the, the results are, are uh, because of this nice isomorphism between unitaries and pure states, I mean, much, much more difficult to perform the experiment um, because you needed to create this uh, this entangled pair and then do this this um, kind of perfectly calibrated unitary that you're attempt wherein you're attempting to to in invert the unknown unitary, um, but the results are 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 uh, are the same in the sense that what you find is that in the self-guided algorithm, which is the the green two examples of different number of shots. Per, per measurement, um, 10 for the red, uh, 100 for the green. So obviously as a, as a function of the number of iterations, um, you'll get lower with, by increasing the number of, of copies per iteration that you use. Um, the green line is simulated, um, what, what would be simulated by doing full tomography? Now, interestingly, they, um, the reason that it was is simulated is because in the experiment it, it, it was it would have just taken too much time um, to get all of these data points um, whereas the self-guided one it you know as i as i've been told from the experimentalists it was very easy to implement um, and again over here we have what happens when in my in the in the unitary that i need to control there's uh, a random a random rotation error Right, so, uh, and then again, the, the, the horizontal lines are 
simulated what would happen if you did standard process tomography. Um, and you can, as you, as you can imagine, you get worse, um, worse, worse fidelity as the, that amount of uh, rotation error increases and uh, the self-guided algorithm will continue to converge. And again, after a, a small number of iterations converges beyond what, what standard process, to, what the lower bound on standard process tomography is. Okay, so, um, so that's it. Uh, this is, um, so this is using an algorithm that comes from the classical optimization literature. It, uh, it's, it's a whole class of algorithms called stochastic, from a whole class called stochastic approximations. And, uh, you know, under a whole host of um, uh, assumptions, you can pr prove convergence. And, but these assumptions are, are always the, like the noise is, is, is Gaussian or the noise satisfies some martingale property. Um, it's, never, it's never discussed in that literature, obviously, that you have a, a, the, the model of the statistical noise come, is coming from a quantum system. So that's, that hasn't been discussed and, and I haven't had the time to analyze it myself. So, uh, the first call to action is to actually come up with a formal convergence proof of this. Um, you can't just apply the classical literature, although, in, you know, as you see in the experiments, it's a useful protocol and all the simulations suggest that it's going to work. Um, on that note, I've used one of, you know, a seemingly infinite number of possible stochastic approximation techniques. So perhaps another one, um, works better in theory or in, in practice. So uh, given that this, from, from what, I, what I've heard from the, the three experimental groups that have implemented this, uh, it, it's remarkably, remarkably easy to use uh, and takes far less time than standard tomography. So um, um, when, you know, if, if you consider using this, then, uh, and you have, um, you have time to spare or you have grad students to spare, uh, then you could investigate some other some other algorithms, related algorithms, and not just maybe naively apply this algorithm. Okay, so remember the three um, requirements: uh, one desiderata. Uh, you can the three examples that I gave you were uh, pure states, mixed states, and unitaries. The question is, uh, what else can you apply this to? Can you apply this to um, subclasses of states and get some sort of um, compressed sensing-like benefit? Uh, could you apply this to uh, uh, measurement detector tomography? And, and then the one that, that I'm also interested in is um, to generalize this to full channels, not just unitaries. Okay? Um, and, and then also when you're, when you're looking at this and, and trying to apply it to, to new areas, this uh, this function f is the thing that is the is the key. Um, can you come up with more efficient or or more in some sense more feasible experiments? So the last one that we saw required you know an ancilla. Can we do this without an ancilla? That's another question that we're um, interested in answering. Uh, and so th that's all estimation. These are all of the all of the ones I showed you, and and what I'm suggesting here are all in this sort of tomography paradigm. So uh, this, this algorithm uh, I've also applied to 
quantum control to actually control quantum systems in sort of a, a kind of automated feedback way, suggesting that, the, that these techniques can be used beyond just tomography. So the question is, you know, what, what is the, the broadest class of, of optimization problems that we can uh, exploit this technique to, to solve? And, and that's the end. Thank you for listening. Um, let's, um, thank you, Chris. Um, and uh, on behalf of everyone, I can uh, play a traffic sound. Thanks. Yeah, Are we doing questions? Or everyone can <laughs> unmute themselves and clap and <laughs> clap for it matter. Okay. Thanks. Um, so, uh, question part. Um, if you have question, um, yeah, unmute yourself, please, and uh, ask your question. Chris? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I want to ask a question. So I guess like in, in your algorithm, this some iteration procedure, you measure something with certain number of copies and get um, some idea of the system. And then you um, go into the loop and, and try again, right? But there's just like the cost is then, um, first you need to do a multiple number of uh, measurements to get um, a good sense of which direction you should optimize with uh, forward or backward. And, and I guess like there's um, uh, freedom of choice. Uh, first, like, there's, there's a step uh, beta. Uh, you, um, you didn't really go into detail. How do you choose the beta? And then uh, the other thing is, um, I guess, like how much um, measurement do you expand in estimating this yeah. in, in that particular step? And because like this, in total, the, the number would be the number of iterations and the number of uh, costs in each um, iteration, right? So yeah. um, like only uh, heuristic uh, uh, guesses if you're using experiments or there's some general uh, guidance, uh, guideline you can follow. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I think, uh, especially in the, in the experiments that have been performed, they're all in, in optics. So you're, you're doing something a little bit different in, in that like you're measuring the kind of photon flux. I mean, in, I'm pretty sure in, in all of the experiments, it's not just like strictly photon counting, right? Um, because you don't have perfect single photon detectors. So, um, but there you have the same problem, like, you know, what, yeah, per, per setting, what, how low should you go in photon flux? Like what is the expected number of photons that you, that you should see? Um, so you're right that the total number of copies you use is two for, for each of the measurements that you do to estimate the gradient. Um, and, 
times the number of iterations of the algorithm times the number of repetitions that you're you're going to do these measurements for. Yeah, so that's the that's the total number, um, and um, what? Yeah, so what um, the when you when you when you look at the convergence proof in the classical literature of these similar algorithms, um, that that choice isn't isn't there, right? Because you just you just assume you have some noise model, right? The the noise model doesn't come with its own parameter, um, but you know if you if everything's sort of in the central limit theory type type argument, then then you can make you can kind of make the following the following argument that. Um, it doesn't actually matter how many repetitions you use um, per measure, like per measurement, um, and uh, and I've, I've observed this in simulations that um, what like when you saw the, some of the some of the plots. So I'll show you one of the plots um, that is a function of the number of measurements. Yeah, okay, so the one on the left here. So obviously if I use 100 photons per measurement, I'm gonna get lower infidelity than if I use 10 photons per measurement. But the, the point is, if I, if I shifted the green line to the right, so that, um, so that instead of iteration on the x-axis, I'm counting the total number of photons used, then the green and red line would lie right on top of each other, more or less. Um, now, so then that, yeah, so that sort of raises the question, what is the optimal number? What is the optimal value of N? Um, and my guess would be um, N equals one, but you'd have to modify the algorithm in some sense because you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to um, take a step. You wouldn't want to increase the iteration number. If, if, I, if I'm doing two measurements nearby and I see up here and up here, then, then the difference between those two is zero, right? So, so uh, in reality, I don't take a step. Um, but in practice, like in the algorithm, the algorithm iteration number increases. So you wouldn't want to do that. So my guess is the optimal thing to do would be to just measure, just measure here, measure here, and stop as soon as you see a difference. As soon as you see a difference, then you step in that direction. That would be my guess that in practice of the sort of optimal, like. Uh, copy optimal um, protocol. Okay, thank you. Um, can I just follow up on that, Chris? Mm -hmm. uh, so, but experimentally, it's easier to have higher n than more iterations, right? Yeah, well, this was sort of my original. Uh, yeah, I knew kind of knew originally that this this was going to be a difficult sell. Like if you're trying to get people to implement your algorithm, because yeah, um, at the moment data is cheap and changing experiments is expensive. Um, but that might not always be the case, right? It, you know, especially like in, so this would be useful in systems where um, the actual once I've once I've prepared a system, the gates that are, you know, performing the gates and, and acquiring the a single data point is quick, but re-preparing the system is expensive. In which case, like I can 
I can change my measurement settings um, in the time easily in the time it takes to reprepare the system. So that's sort of the the one regime where I imagine this would be most useful, or any adaptive protocol will be useful, right? Where the and there I, I guess there are systems that have this property that um, the preparation time is orders of magnitude higher than the actual um, you know gate times. So to to acquire to acquire a data point might might take a lot longer than to change the measurement settings. Right. Um, and then a different question is: Is there um, do you know if there's any requirement on the on how close the initial state needs to be um, in order to get convergence? No. Um, so the like most numerical algorithms, there's some like magic wizardry in setting the algorithmic parameters. Oh, that reminds me that I didn't answer Zhongfeng's second question, which was this beta and the step sizes. How do you choose those? Um, so those, uh, there's a range in which you can show, at least if you're using nice classical noise models, that guarantee convergence. But in practice, you know, the choosing the asymptotically optimal values for those algorithmic parameters does you know doesn't often work in the kind of initial uh yeah the initial sort of um iteration number so yeah like most numerical algorithms just naively applying the this this protocol won't yeah you may converge but you won't get the best sort of the best results that that can be obtained so you have to actually tweak the algorithmic parameters and the initial step, the very first step size depends, like the, the quality of the algorithm depends on how close you are to the, to the initial state. But you can always sort of, um, yeah, the, the further you are from the true state, the bigger the first step should be. Um, of course, you don't know how far away you are. So um, I think this isn't something that I mentioned, but, uh, it is something that that's been thought about that you could come up with um, an adaptive uh, choosing you can choose the parameters of the algorithm adaptively you know as you go so this is like a all all of what i showed you now uh, is an algorithm where the, all the algorithmic parameters are set and fixed throughout the protocol but you can imagine changing these these algorithmic parameters as you go uh, and that that might get around this problem of, you know, it's that it's quite sensitive to the initial initial choices of the parameters. But yeah, in, I mean, another way to answer directly your question would be, it, it doesn't matter how far away you are, so long as you know you've you've somewhat optimized the parameters in the algorithm. Uh, and in all of the experiments that were performed, of course, you know, we, we did lots of simulations before the experiment was run so that, you know, we knew what to expect. Right. But then I, like, if you were, if you're trying to find a state that you actually didn't know, which, which is the true state, how, how would you optimize the parameters? Oh, like, uh, how, yeah, how would I do it in practice? Um, so I would still run simulations, but I would run simulations like over 
a whole bunch of unknown states and then just pick the set of parameters that work best, you know, on average and, and then recommend those. So there'll be right. like a generically good set of parameters I'm expecting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Do lots of stimulations before doing the experiment. Measure, measure twice, cut once. Is there any other question? So if there's no other question, let's let thank Chris again and thank you. Thank you everyone.